0: Well, uh, this morning, we're, we're continuing on in a series that we've been in this summer called Summer of Love. And uh, each week this summer, we've been unpacking a different attribute from 1 Corinthians chapter 13, which by many is known as the famous love chapter of the Bible. And so um, if you go to a wedding this summer, there's a good chance you'll hear First Corinthians recited, First Corinthians chapter 13 recited. In many living room walls, you'll see uh, wall art with First Corinthians chapter 13 written down on it. And um, it's, it's just basically a chapter that describes and unpacks the, the kind of love that God loves us with. And as well, it also describes the love that he is at work to cultivate in the lives of his people, in us. And, and, so, and so we've looked at, through the weeks, we've looked at how love is patient and how it's kind, that, that love does not envy or boast, that it's not arrogant. And then I'm so grateful uh, for Felix and Brian who brought a good word over the past two weeks uh, they, they really did a great job. Uh, I just want to say thank you to them. Uh, Felix explained how love is not self-seeking, that it does not insist on its own way, and then Brian jumped in and showed us that love is not irritable uh, and that it refuses to keep a record of wrongs. Uh, so, so they really did an outstanding job, and I am so happy and excited to be back and to jump in at verse six, which tells us this about love. It says, "Love." does not rejoice at wrongdoings, but instead it rejoices with the truth. Uh, it's a very short sentence, uh, but there's a lot to unpack here, and so we are going to jump into it. Uh, there's, there's one root word that gets repeated twice in this very short sentence. It's, it's the word rejoice. Rejoice. And and so the simple point that I want to make this morning, uh, two of them actually, number one is that love rejoices, and number two, that love regulates what it rejoices over. So love rejoices and it, re- it regulates what it rejoices over. So, so first, let's try to wrap our minds around what this word rejoice is all about. Um, so to quote a line from the Partridge Family theme song, if you know that one, <laughs> To rejoice kind of means to come on and get happy about something, to, to celebrate outwardly in an expressive way. It's an emotional expression of joy and delight that comes out of our lives. And, 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 and rejoicing is something that, that we f- constantly find God calling his people to do, time and time again, all over the scriptures. So this past week, I did a little word search on this word rejoice, and I found out that it, it shows up some 202 times throughout the Old and New Testaments. The very first time is Exodus chapter 18, verse 9, where it says that Jethro rejoiced for all the good the Lord had done to Israel. So rejoicing was the response to the redeeming work that God did when he brought the Israelites out of captivity and slavery from Egypt and made them uh, free. Rejoicing is also very often connected to eating, to festivals. Uh, We we actually try to copy that pattern. We do a lot of eating around here. uh, But in, in Deuteronomy 16, 14, it tells the Israelites this. It says, rejoice in your feast, you and your son and your daughter, your male servant and your female servant, the Levite, the sojourner, the fatherless, and the widow who are within your towns. In other words, everybody, no matter who you are, no matter what your condition, come together and throw a party. See, God's people are called to be a party people. And it's not the kind of parties where people go to, to forget their troubles and drown out their sorrows We understand that the best parties are about rejoicing. They're about celebrating. They're, They're places, times when you recall and remember and rejoice over something good. In this case, the good things that God has done, the grace and the blessings that he's poured out on our lives. Psalm 511, it connects rejoicing, to singing joyfully. It says, But let all who take refuge in you rejoice. Let them ever sing for joy and spread your protection over them, that those who love your name may exalt in you. And so you probably know this, but when we come together here on Sunday mornings and, and we sing together in worship, we are here to rejoice to exalt, to awaken our emotions and express delight in our great God, in the Lord. That's that's part of what we do when we gather together. All right, Psalm 9611, it calls all of creation to rejoice. It says, let the heavens be glad and let the earth rejoice. Let the sea roar and all that fills it. Psalm 11824 reminds us this, this is the day that the Lord has made. Let us rejoice And be glad in it. It's a great verse. So maybe maybe for whatever reason, yesterday wasn't a good day for you. It didn't go the way that you wanted it to. Well, good news. God has given you a brand new day. Today, it is going to be filled with brand new mercies, with grace, with opportunities that are going to be set before you. And so let that reality of this new day Stir up a passion inside of you and express it. Rejoice and be glad in this day that God has given you as a gift. Uh, rejoicing is also seen as kind of like an act of defiance. You know, we live in a very broken down world. Things are not always going the way that we want them. And, and in Habakkuk chapter 3, verses 17 to 19, it says this, Though the fig tree should not blossom... Nor fruit beyond the vines; the produce of the olive falls, and the fields yield no food. The flock be cut off from the fold, and there be no herd in the stalls. Yet I will rejoice in the Lord; I will take joy in the God of my salvation. And so, here's here's the question this passage is answering. So, when everything around you is not going right, when everything around just seems to utterly stink. Can you still rejoice? Of course you can. That's that's what faith is all about. That is the place where faith kicks in. Faith believes that the story is not over yet, right? That the way it is right now isn't the way it's always and ultimately going to turn out to be, that the God who has a hold of your life, he's still at work, and he is good, and he never changes. And, and you're going to keep on going. Keep on believing that the best has yet to be written, despite the current chapter you may be in. Rejoice. Jesus rejoiced. When, when he saw his disciple apprentices doing ministry, they, what you've got to know about his disciples is that they were not standouts. You know, they, they were run-of-the-mill, working-class, overlooked nobody's ordinary in every way possible and and yet he looks and sees them coming back from this ministry assignment. They have just accomplished this incredible ministry and Jesus can't help but rejoice and that overflows in prayer. And Luke 10, 21, in that same hour, he rejoiced in the Holy Spirit and said, thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and understanding and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for such was your gracious will. You know, it's It's amazing that that we get the opportunity, the privilege of participating in what God is doing in this world, isn't it? Right? We we get to play a part uh, in his eternal purposes being accomplished. Um, I don't know about you, but I feel like my life is exhibit number one for the reality that An extraordinary God uses and works through ordinary people because that kind of just sums up my life, ordinary in every way. And yet God, for whatever reason, chooses to use people like me, people like you, people like us. Rejoice about that reality. All right, one last example. Philippians chapter 4, verse 4. Rejoice in the Lord always and again. I say rejoice. You see, just in case you miss it the first time, he has to say it again. Rejoice, not as a um, you know, a suggestion. It's 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 a it's a it's an imperative, it's a command. Keep on rejoicing. It's essential to the Christian life, it's not like an optional accessory. We can always rejoice, not in our circumstances. Not in our situation because those change day by day, moment by moment, right? But, but we can always rejoice in the Lord because he never changes. And he is always good all the time. And so God's call is to continually come on and get happy about him, right? So I hope we're getting the idea just a little bit that... Um, unmoving, stoic indifference is not a core value of the kingdom of God, okay, right? If, if, if your idea of, I want to be serious about the Lord, and that involves in your mind, I'm going to have to be emotionally detached, I'm never going to have to crack a smile again, and I'm, I'm never going to get excited about anything because I'm, su- I'm serious, you know? Uh, let this be the reminder this morning, if you're happy and you know it, then your face will surely show it. Amen? Good. You're with me. All right. Jeff, Jeff Bridges says it this way, God intends the Christian life to be a life of joy, not drudgery. The idea that holiness be associated with a dour disposition is a caricature of the worst sort. Just the opposite is true. Those who walk in holiness experience true joy, right? Sometimes we've got to remember that connection. See, rejoicing, it's a a reflection of this reality that God created us as physical, as emotional, and as spiritual. All three of those are valid and are to be embraced, and all three get engaged when we take part in this activity of rejoicing. Now, um, now I got to tell you a little bit about myself. I grew up Baptist. I grew up in the conservative, independent, Baptist type, which some of you know what that means. Others of you don't, but I'll let you know what that means is that emotional expressions were highly discouraged, <laughs> always suspect. Being reserved was a core value. Rejoicing, not so much. And uh, there was one time when someone sang this beautiful song on a Sunday morning, and, and the congregation just spontaneously, it wasn't a rare thing, but they spontaneously started just applauding, clapping. As they wanted to respond until this man in the front row, with this stour, certain look on his face, jumped onto the platform and set the congregation straight, said, we don't do that here. And that was the end of that. So... So I might just contrast that with uh, what I saw here a couple of weeks ago. I wasn't here, as you know. I was down at Bethany Beach with our family. And um, you may have noticed that uh, Felix, when he preaches here on Sunday mornings, he has a way of recruiting the Saturday morning men's group to help conclude the sermon. I'm not sure how he does it, but he does it. I actually, I don't think he actually asked them. <laughs> I think it's just basically, here's what you guys are doing, be here tomorrow, and they just, and, and they, they do, you guys are, it's impressive, I don't, I'm blown away at it. So we were away in Delaware, and when I got the chance, I, I went to the podcast and I listened to the audio sermon, but then I was told by a very reliable source, no, Brian, listening to it is not enough you have to watch the live stream. And so I did. And, and I took a screenshot, and I want to show it to you here. Look at that guy. <laughs> See? This is what rejoicing looks like. This is why I call my friend Felix Nigerian Thunder. And he is showing us, showing me, how to rejoice. You know how to do it, and uh, we are blessed. I, I'm a work in progress, and I don't know where you are, but regardless of where you fall on the the, the de- demonstrative scale, rejoicing is always an area to grow in continually for all of us and develop. If your intention is to love well you got to be able to rejoice. you got to be able to celebrate. On, on, a, on a physiological level, they say that celebrating releases endorphins and dopamine and serotonin in our bodies. And, and, and these are the neurotransmitters that, that are responsible for making people feel happy, for making them feel motivated, and making them feel connected to each other. And, and, and that kind of, I find at least in my life, that bears out right? I I think we're drawn to enthusiastic people, people who can do more than just, you know, say the right things, but who can engage emotionally to situations and respond with that kind of enthusiasm. You know, sometimes just a little, just a high five, right? You, you guys know me. I'm not a big hugger, but man, a high five, like that's a That goes a long way. That can have a powerful, just relational effect. And it's all wrapped up in this idea of rejoicing. It it deepens connections. It's a a huge part of what binds a church community together as well. And so rejoicing, it's it's a regular expression of the kind of life God wants us to live, that he calls us to live. And their second aspect is that it also needs to be regulated love does not rejoice at wrongdoing but rejoices with the truth so i think what this is getting at is this reality that rejoicing is really something every person on the planet will do every one of us are going to get happy about something the question is what is it going to be what are we going to get happy about? What will we choose to delight in? So when a child comes home from school and he has an A on the paper that he studied for and tried so hard to get, uh, the parent will usually rejoice, celebrate. That's awesome. Like when I, get, when I get home after a bike ride and I open up my Strava and check my stats and it tells me that I got a PR at a particular place A personal record. I do a little happy dance. Like I get excited. You have to understand. I'm I'm nearing on 54 years old, and PRs are few and far between at this stage of life. And so I get excited about that. And the reality is, we're all rejoicing. So rejoicing. It's it's not a religious thing. It's a it's a human thing. And so someone once said. You know, but Pastor Brian, I'm kind of a reserved person, and you know, I'm kind of just low key in worship because that's just the way that I am. And I said, well, you know what? I remember watching football with you. <laughs> and you may be low key from 10:30 to 11:30 on Sunday morning, but once 1 p.m. rolls around on Sunday afternoons, you are anything but. And I said, hey, well, you know what? If watching a Group of grown men chase a ball down a field in tights is emotionally compelling to you, so be it. Um, point I'm trying to make is that we all rejoice, and if our intention is to love, what we rejoice over needs some discernment, it needs some direction, it needs some regulation. I I, I think of a few Met fans of mine um, who. You know, there are Met fans and there are bitter Met fans. Um, I'm talking about bitter Met fans. These are the ones who get more excited when the Yankees lose than they do when the Mets win. And it's hard to even say that as a Yankee fan because there is very little winning going on in any New York ball club these days. But at this point, if you're not keeping track, it is the Yankees who are winning the battle to the basement of the major leagues. It is a sad state of affairs. Um, but it doesn't, it doesn't take a lot to start reorienting our lives to rejoice in what's wrong instead of what's right. It's sometimes called the bitter root. And it can set in fast. And, and when it does, it can start rotting the heart out. Our lives can start rotting out. Um, do you ever find yourself... You got nothing to say when someone comes with something good that's just happened to them. But when something bad happens, you're at no loss for words. And sometimes it's just the snarky, sarcastic little comments, and other times it can just be this ongoing commentary that effectively is delighting in another person's misery. That can happen. Um, Love does not rejoice at wrongdoing wrongdoing simply defined is that which goes outside the boundary lines of God's standards and his expectations and the truth is it's hard not to rejoice in it because there is so much that is being done outside of God's boundary lines and standards both in our world and and oftentimes in and and around our lives as well so if we're to start with ourselves here's the reality, if what I'm doing is wrong, if I'm actively living my life outside of God's clear boundary lines, there's gonna be consequences. And so, as an example, if I start celebrating with you and talking to you about how I lied to her and she didn't know it, I pulled one over on her, what have I just demonstrated? I've just demonstrated that I am willing to lie when the situation suits me. And it doesn't take too much to figure out that that means it's just a matter of time before I lie to you too. And that tends not to develop deep bonds of trust and closeness and connection, right? So, so for our own well-being, God calls us to, to repent and to renounce wrongdoing, not to, not to relish in it and then you can extend that from, from yourself to to your circle of relationships do you do you have those friends that you know they're from like a, a few chapters previous in your life and anytime you get together the conversation always devolves back to celebrating all of the regrettable stupid things you did back in the day you know we all have regrets every one of us things that we we can't go back and do over, but since Jesus came into your life, they are ancient history. He washed you clean. He redeemed your life. You've left them in the past, and they're not you anymore, right? The Apostle Paul says, when I was a child, I reasoned like a child, but, but then I grew up, and I left childish ways behind. It doesn't always happen, though. Some people never seem to get out of that childish stage. They just... Stay there, stuck in the past, and they want you to relive it with them. Sometimes you have to just say, sorry, I, I can't go there with you. You see, what you have to understand is it may be a highlight for you, but for me, it's just a footnote. It's, just, it's old news. It's ancient history. Can we just change the subject and, and let's celebrate something else? You know, other times we can just sometimes set our sights on on wanting and waiting for someone else to fail. And then when we do, we, we gloat over it. And, and other times, um, celebrating what's wrong, sometimes it just takes the shape of commiseration or what we call a pity party, right? Pity parties where you're looking for someone else to commiserate with because misery tends to love company and so you can... Dwell on, I'm a victim, you know. Look at all of the ways I've been wrong, and I want an audience so I can broadcast it, so we can celebrate this together. Look at these things that have been done to you. Everything is against me. Everyone doesn't want this for me. It really is nothing more than a twisted way of rejoicing in wrongdoing. And there's nothing about any of that that builds others up, that brings people closer together. God redeems us out of what is wrong and brings us into his righteousness, into a right way of living. And so here's the thing. When we find our minds moving in that direction, let that be a cue to take action, to intentionally adjust the orbit of what's getting our focus And find something right to rejoice in. See, in so many ways, the battle, it it takes place in the mind. Uh, I, I think you can think about it like this. Like every day in all of our lives, there is going to be a highlight reel playing inside of our hearts and minds. We get to choose what the content of what's going to run on that reel you choose what the highlight reel is going to play. It's what you rejoice in. And what you celebrate, you rejoice in. Now, we have a spiritual adversary, a real spiritual adversary. His name is Satan, and he has a vested interest in fixing our focus on everything that's wrong. He wants to fill that reel with accusation with condemnation, with criticism, with division, and ultimately with destruction. He wants us to believe that the best you can do is find some way to temporarily, or sometimes permanently, check out of reality. Check out from all these different things that, are right, that aren't right. That's the highlight. That's the best you can hope for. Of course, Whatever that is, it always comes to an end. And then you're left right back where you once were. And I don't know about you, but to me, that doesn't sound like any way to live. That doesn't sound like the kind of life God calls us to live, that he, he, he wants us to live. See, on the other side, there is the living, eternal creator God who is good all the time. God is good all the time, and all the time God is good as one of the just professions of faith foundational to the Christian life. And this God is at work in your life, in my life, in ways that are good. Now, it doesn't mean that life is going to be good all the time, but even when it's not, he doesn't stop being good. Even when things aren't great, there are still good things that he is doing in and around our lives all the time. And so we have the opportunity to let that be the highlight reel. Let that be what runs through our hearts and minds. Catch a vision for the goodness of God, how awesome his ways are, how amazing his grace is. And lock into that and live from that place day in and day out. How, how do we get there? How does that happen? I, I think it's interesting that the word for rejoice, it's an extension of the word for joy. And when you look back at the Greek construct of it, the word for joy is really the same root word as the word for grace. So I feel like it's kind of bringing us back to the core, which is the grace of God. That we've been shown that's where it starts tuning in to the grace of god all the ways that god is at work in ways that we don't deserve we haven't earned we don't work for he just pours them out in our lives he's pouring out blessings on our lives every day they're there but we need to be tuned into them we need to pay attention to them to see them and when we're talking about grace it's always going to lead us back to the cross, to the foot of the cross. That is the ultimate demonstration of the grace of God, the place where Jesus, the sinless Son of God, willingly went to suffer, to lay down his life for your sake, for my sake, to bring us back to God, to to restore that relationship that had been broken by sin, by taking on himself, The debt and the punishment to win our salvation, to give it to us as a free gift, not as something that we have to work for and earn because we never can, but as a free gift to receive in such a way that John says that all who believed in Jesus would become children of God, not stepchildren, not servants, but cherished children of God. It's an amazing reality. That's a reality that today and every day can stir up our hearts and pour out emotions and set the tone for your day. So may we have eyes to see, may we have ears to hear, may we have minds to perceive the reality, this reality about our great God, his mighty works, the wonders of his love, and and may that explode on a relational level. May it overflow in the way that we interact with each other, the good things that God is doing in and around us, who he is, and may that make a difference in the way that we love each other. Let's pray together.